The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the writer. I'm your host as always, Damon Martin. And we have to throw you for a bit of a loop this week, a bit of a, uh, a, uh, a last minute, last minute audible, if you will. Uh, Matt Brown, my regular co-host on the show had a bit of a family emergency this week. So he's kind of had to step out of the co-host chair for a week. He will be back next week. I've been assured, uh, hopefully, you know, everything is well, and that's uh, more important than any podcast that's out there. So, uh, best wishes to Matt dealing with what he's dealing with. And we look forward to him being back on the podcast next week. But for now, uh, something that was actually going to happen on last week's podcast, that worked out better this way. Anyways, I was going to actually welcome in Paul Felder to uh, do a bit of a year preview, looking ahead at 2023 in the UFC uh, and everything he's got going on, as well as all the major storylines going on in the UFC as we look ahead to the year uh, that we're about to kick off on Saturday night with the main event between Kelvin Gastelum and Nasruddin Imavov. And so uh, it worked out well. So I actually did end up catching up with Paul Felder. So it kind of worked out well to uh, to talk to Paul about the year ahead. Um, full disclosure, before I get to that interview and also a little later in the show, I'm going to feature an interview with Kevin Lee, an update on him after he fought in Eagle FC last year and then disappeared again, hasn't fought since March. Uh, we're going to get an update on him, where he's going, um, his status of his knee, uh, and uh, new management, all kinds of stuff. So we're going to talk to him a little bit later as well. Um, real quick. Before anyone jumps down my throat or says, oh man, why didn't you address it? Uh, the interview with Paul Felder was recorded uh last week uh it was i was planning on dropping it on the podcast the same day i recorded the podcast with matt brown last week timing didn't work out and i wasn't 100 sure it was going to happen so i had to kind of delay things so i went ahead and held the interview um that being said the allegations are not to say allegations the incident that happened with ufc president dana white and the video that was released that showed him in a physical altercation with his wife came out after that interview had already been recorded. So before anyone gets on me or says, why don't you talk about this? Or why aren't you talking about this? Or why aren't you asking Paul Felder about this? It was impossible for me to ask Paul Felder about this because this all happened before the interview happened or after the interview happened, excuse me. So there was no way for me to ask him about it. And I know a lot of fighters have been hesitant to address it. Uh, and unfortunately there have been some rather ugly responses for those that have, um, so yeah. Um anyways, so 
you know, just a, just a kind of a heads up on, on, on that, um, you know, two seconds, just a quick thought, you know, listen, you know, Matt Brown being, you know, the one half of the fighter versus the writer, you know, I, his opinion on this situation is going to matter more. He's a fighter in the UFC, you know, and so, you know, obviously I, I don't expect my weight, my, the words of the weight of my words to carry nearly as much as him or a guy like Paul Felder or Dustin Poirier or any of the guys who could eventually speak out about this. I wanted to make sure and clarify for Paul's sake, he couldn't answer that question because I didn't ask that question because it hadn't happened yet. So I couldn't ask him that question. That being said, um, just to address the whole ugly situation with Dana White, you know, listen, as a person who grew up in a home uh, filled with domestic abuse and domestic violence, I understand how ugly this can get. And uh, um, I thought, you know, Dana addressing it right away, granted with TMZ, a, a television partner of the UFC versus sitting down and doing a, a, an actual interview about it. Uh, it is what it is, but he addressed it. Um, granted the video came out at the exact same time as the interview. So it's not like the, the, the video dropped and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Dana has to react to it. It was all kind of done in one fell swoop, which always seems a little, a little suspicious on the timing, uh, in terms of his addressing it, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that he made no excuses. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that, um, he, he, you know, apologized for his actions and, and, you know, basically said, you know, what people are going to say about me, they have every right to say about me. Uh, more or less, I deserve it for what I did and I shouldn't have done it. Um, so yeah, that's that, you know, it is what it is. I thought overall in terms of how he personally handled it, it was well done. I mean, I think it's absolutely wrong to ever put your hands on a woman in any situation, uh, much less when you're, you know, uh, you know, even, even when you're inebriated and you're in a club, whatever the case may be, I mean, there's just no excuse for it. There's never an excuse for it. Anyone that's excusing it and saying anything else, should she put his hands on him? No, of course not. No one's justifying that either. Uh, you know, there should be no violence between spouses or loved ones. That's 100% true. That should go both ways. But that being said, uh, it still doesn't justify him striking her. Um, I think the worst part about this whole situation, uh, in my opinion, not, not let me say, let me, let me back to not the, the worst part about the situation is that Dana White struck his wife. That's the worst of it. And that's awful. And that should not be forgotten. And we should not brush past this. Like it didn't happen. We're a week later now and people are still talking about it. And rightfully. So this is one of those situations you don't just live down, nor should you live down in a week's time. Um, but it has been rather telling the reaction we've seen from the UFC, more importantly, though, the UFC's owners at Endeavor, a company, a publicly traded company that also as a talent agency represents hundreds of creative people um, and, 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 and actors and actresses and writers and musicians and things like this. They represent a big swath of people beyond the UFC also in you know, PBR and all the other businesses they own. Their silence is deafening, and it's been really disturbing that they haven't once issued a statement. I mean, listen, I'm not sitting here saying Dana White should be fired. He should be leaving the organization. I'm not making those kind of de declarative statements. You know what I mean? I'm not making that kind of statement. What I will say is, though, is that you can still condemn someone's actions without firing them. Um, now, maybe behind the scenes, there are serious discussions ongoing about the future of Dana White in the UFC. Maybe that's why we haven't heard anything. But to me, as soon as this 
As soon as the video surfaced and Dana addressed it, the very next day, Ari Emanuel, the CEO of um, Endeavor or Endeavor as a PR department or whatever, should have released a statement on what happened with Dana White. Whether you're condemning the actions, we do not, you know, we do not, you know, abide by domestic violence. Whatever your statement is, you got to say something. Uh, and they've done nothing. They've said nothing. I've sent them messages. I know a lot of other journalists have as well. They have said squat. Um, and ESPN's reaction isn't a whole lot better. Did they cover it briefly? There was a, a very brief segment on SportsCenter. Uh, I think the next day or the night after, I can't remember what it was. I think it was the next day because last Monday uh, was the unfortunate situation with DeMar Hamlin uh, in Cincinnati. And so the next morning, I believe I was watching, the next day I watched the Sports Center, and I believe they did address it. And I know that Stephen A. Smith and Molly Karam addressed it on first take and kind of a weird, weird segment of, you know, basically saying we really like Dana White, he's our friend, uh, which is a really, really weird way to admonish a guy for for doing something terrible. Um, but yeah, that reaction's been a little unsettling because, you know, it doesn't take a lot to um, condemn a person for those actions. Again, no one says that you have to cut ties with them. No one says you have to fire him. No one says that uh, he can't ever work in the industry again. But admonishing him for those actions seems like, you know, day one, step one kind of uh, things to do. And and you would hope that an organization as big as Endeavor, especially being publicly traded, where their stock is, you know, depending on people supporting them, uh, would you know, at least go out there and, and publicly condemn the actions of what Dana White did. And, you know, to what Dana White even said in his message, like he even said, like, I'm not expecting anyone to take it easy on me. I'm not expecting, I was the guy who says you never come back from putting your hands on a woman. Dana has weirdly handled this better than an endeavor. At least he made that statement and, and addressed it and addressed his actions right away. And, you know, he didn't go silent. Now we can sit here and talk all day about, all the other things, I mean, you know, TBS, you know, delaying the start of the slap fighting league by one week. That doesn't look great, but it also doesn't look great that they never even made a public statement about it. Like they're now at partners with Dana White. They are now in business consort with Dana White and they've not said anything. I think that is really the bigger issue to me at this point in terms of the reaction. Uh, have we seen some ugly reactions online and some comments from some fighters that really don't sit well, sure. Uh, and that's not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and dress that all day, but yeah, it does. The silence is deafening that there's been no reaction from the people who matter most around him. You know, I mean, I don't necessarily expect the UFC to fall on their sword because Dana is the president. Uh, but Endeavor as the owners, they should ESPN is the broadcast partner. They should, I mean, talking about it, but then not actually, you know, issuing a, a company wide statement, condemning the actions. I mean, I just have a hard time believing if this was Roger Goodell in the UFC or excuse me, in the NFL did the same thing that they would not have nonstop you know, 24 hour day coverage on this until something happened. I mean, there was, a, I, don't, I don't follow soccer, um, but I know there was a situation recently in soccer where, where there was a domestic violence allegation and that's was all over the headlines. I saw it and I don't follow soccer. That's how much it was out there. Um, and it was covered extensively. Uh, so I, that, that bugs me that they're not even, they're not, it's not, it's not that they didn't acknowledge it. They did acknowledge it. ESPN absolutely acknowledged it, but that there's no blanket statement or somebody from higher ups to say, we condemn these actions as a, as a broadcast partner or endeavor being the worst case scenario that Ari Emanuel hasn't come out and done a statement. And again, no one's saying the guy has to be fired or leave his job or any of that, but the fact that they've just said nothing and it almost seems like it's all getting brushed under the rug 
uh, because nothing's been said. And it's almost like if you don't say it right away, you know, it's one of those things. Like if you wait two weeks to address it, did you really want to address it? Or do you feel like you're being pressured into addressing it? Like there should have been a, a statement issue within 24 hours saying we condemn his actions. We do not condone domestic violence. Uh, this is not the company we are. This is not what we stand for. We are going to address Dana pub privately about this. Now, maybe nothing ever comes from that. And, and Dana continues on his job and, and we never hear anything else about it, but at least, you know, at least address it. I mean, the UFC has, a, I mean, when, when Dana goes before the media at press conferences and stuff, we ask him, you know, those uncomfortable questions all the time about fighters when they've been arrested or released or ugly situations happen. And, you know, um, and he, he addresses it publicly, you know, I mean, so the fact that Endeavor hasn't, and they haven't even made a statement about it is just, it's just unnerving. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Cause I have a hard time believing if this was anyone else that they wouldn't at least address it or issue a statement of some sort, you know, about the actions. It's just such a, unfortunate weird situation and and you know like i said in nowhere in this do i do i say that you know dana needs to lose his job i just think that not addressing it doesn't necessarily make it go away and if anything it's going to make people more curious as to why they're not addressing it again not saying it all goes away if you just issue a blanket statement saying we condemn his actions we don't condone domestic violence but at least you've addressed it at least you've said something and not saying anything is worse in my opinion um, so there, I wanted to get that off my chest before we got started. We were actually going to address this. We had every intention of addressing this on the show with, with, uh, with Matt Brown. Uh, unfortunately his family emergency prevented him from being here this week. So I just want to be clear about that, that we absolutely were going to address this. We had every intention of addressing it. Uh, I'm doing my best to address it right now. Uh, and maybe next week, depending on what happens, you know, between now and then, maybe we will address it again. Um, when Matt's back. So my best wishes to Matt and his family on, and, and, and uh, he'll be back next week with us here on the podcast. Uh, right now let's get to my chat with Paul Felder. As we preview the UFC in 2023, we talk about Conor McGregor. We talk about John Jones. We talk about Islam Makhachev. We talk about a lot of things. Uh, and again, to be clear, this was recorded before the whole Dana White situation popped off. So, uh, we couldn't talk about that. Uh, so, Enjoy this time with uh, the great Paul Felder. He is an incredible triathlete. He is also the star of HBO's Hacks. And when he's not acting or doing all those other things, he also happens to be one of the best co commentators and broadcasters in all of mixed martial arts. Paul Felder. Paul, did I get the accolades correct? My goodness. Yeah, you make me sound, uh, make me sound good. <laughs> appreciate you taking the time as always i know you're incredibly busy uh i think you just got done running a triathlon or something going on right now so you never really slow down do you i just did uh just under four hour bike ride in the, the hills of pennsylvania with a couple other guys that i trained with so it was uh and i did a three hour run yesterday for the first <laughs> time i ran 22 miles yesterday to start the new year and then four hour bike ride today and my legs are trashed, to, to say the least, right now. Did you ever imagine retiring from fighting would be so tiring? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I think we all we all have a, our, our notions of what we're going to be like when we retire. I should have known better. Like, I've always been a maniac and, and loved training. I've always loved the, the training process of MMA. I'm one of those few guys that enjoyed the grind of it. So I should have known that I was going to find something post 
fighting career that was going to have to keep me active. Uh, but, you know, I used to be like, oh, I'm going to get so big and just drinking beer and loving <sighs> it. And I, I still do that, but uh, just just can't just sit around and do it. Yeah, absolutely not. Well, uh, Paul, we're coming off an incredible ending to 2022. And what we're going to be doing today, as we did last year, is look ahead at 2023. We've already got a lot of big fights booked to start the year. Of course, the big fight for the lightweight title, Islam Makachev taking on Alexander Volkanovsky. We got Devison Figueredo taking on Brandon Moreno, a lot of other fights. Remember, can I ask just out of the fights that have already been announced? And I know, uh, obviously your boy, Sean Brady just got booked for a big fight. So yeah. a lot of big fights. What, as, again, you're, you're going to be calling a lot of these fights, but I'm curious, like, is there a fight that's been announced so far that you're like really anxiously looking forward to? Well, you know, one of the, one of the fights. I mean, obviously, starting off really early, the Brazil pay per view. Um, it's been a while since we've been back there uh, with Glover on the card, and now Jamal Hill stepping in. Um, I, I'm excited to see how that one's going to play out. Uh, I'm excited to be in that crowd. It's been a long time since I've experienced the crazy Brazilian crowd going into things. And obviously, I'm not working the um, Islam and Volkanovski fight, but man that one really intrigues me right if volkanovsky can do that then he's superman you know what i mean he's one of those fighters that and everybody's got him counting out but when you listen to him i mean he really thinks he's going to go in there and get the job done so very excited about that one um but yeah i'd have to look through the list of of the fights that have already been booked but I, I think it's going to be a banger of a year, no doubt about it. And I think we're going to get to more places. I can't wait to get back to more European cities, more countries in the U.S., and, and just bringing it back to the, the public, man. Um, I feel like we got a little bit of that in 2022, but not as much as we had hoped. So really the thing that I'm looking forward to most of all in 2023 is getting more fight nights with with crowds. Let me start there. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, I got to attend when the UFC came back to Columbus here in Columbus, Ohio in March. It was amazing to be there. It wasn't even yeah. the biggest card in the world. It was a great card, but it wasn't the biggest card in the world. But the crowd was just insane. It was just fun to be there, be with the crowd. And I like when the UFC Apex shows first started, I was like, oh, this is cool. You can hear the corners and you can hear the punches and you can really hear the the effects. After about six weeks or maybe eight weeks, I was like, all right, I'm ready for the fans. And then when the fans came yeah. back, it was just, it reminded us why those crowd, like I, you call a lot of fights in the apex and I know it's part it's, it's probably going to be part of the UFC's business plan going forward to a certain extent, but are you kind of of the same mind as everyone else? Like it, it, it's just not the same anymore. Like we, we got to get back. We got to get the crowds in there for, for every card. Yeah, it seemed cool in the beginning, right? We we found the positives in it. We were fighting. We had fight cards. We were one of the first uh, professional sports back on television with, with a live broadcast. So it, it was amazing, right? We had that. We had Fight Island. We had all these cool niche little explorations and, and, and um, new things to discover. But now that it's all kind of settled a little bit and, and you've had crowds again, you realize, oh, my God, this sport really thrives off the public it, it thrives off the fans and the people in in attendance and it, and it makes the fighters i mean you can say it doesn't affect you all you want but if you start to be in a, in a in a really back and forth battle of a fight and that crowd is going crazy and you're going to the third round or god forbid it's a main event or a title fight you're going to the fifth round of a fight and the crowd is going nuts it gets you up it makes you more excited to go out there and perform and lay it on the line more so than you would in a completely quiet room. And, and I agree that the plan moving forward for the UFC, it makes sense 
to have some of them. And if we have fewer of them, we'll appreciate them more. We'll like a, we'll like a little quiet fight night every now and then and really listen to the corners, hear the impact of the shots. But you need the crowds to to balance it out. And, uh, and I just miss having fight nights where it's not a pay-per-view. But me and Brendan or me and John get to do a stand-up with a crowd for a main event of fighters who are on the up and are trying to make a big success of themselves. It helps to have that crowd. It helps to have that atmosphere to really push them into that next, uh, into that next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned a fight. Let's kind of kick things off talking about the lightweight division. We got such a massive fight coming up in February between Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. And I tell you what, last year, you know, I became such a believer in Charles Oliveira that I was like, you know what? After he beat Dustin Poirier, it's like, I'm not doubting this guy anymore because I kept picking against him. I kept picking against him every time. I was like, you know what? Gaethje's so tough and yep. he's got the leg kicks. I was like, okay, I got to go with Gaethje. Then I was like, ah, Oliveira's boxing and blah, blah, blah. Again, uh, I was, I actually picked Oliveira to beat Makachev. I was just a big believer in Oliveira at that point. Makachev just... You know, I mean, no one had beaten him like that since kind of you had beaten him like that. When you went out there and knocked out, he went out and, and dominated him and, and finished him. Um, I think Alexander Volkanovsky is incredible. I think he's an amazing champion, and, and he may be on his way to becoming the greatest featherweight of all time. But I still have such a hard time picking anyone to beat Islam Makachev with that dominant grappling, with how big he is, how physical he is. Give me a reason. Why Why am I wrong? Is there a reason I'm wrong that Volkanovski can pull this off? Uh, well, well, I mean, I'm sort of also in agreement with you that I, after the, the performance that Islam put on against Charles, uh, I, I, you know, and that fight got made, I, I was like, oh, uh, ooh, I don't <laughs> know about that. But there are some things to think about. Uh, Volkanovski is not one of those guys that gets taken down and laid on for any seconds of a fight he's one of those guys that's just a workhorse he's shorter he's going to be hard to get under he's going to be hard to control once you do get him down but he's got to use that like non-stop and he's got to use his striking and his leg kicks and he's got to try to batter islam and and stay on his feet the entire time and i just don't know with the size that that's going to be the real question i know volkanovsky was a huge guy people are going to bring that up that when he played rugby he was over 200 pounds and all that that's all well and good but islam it's not even just how big he is. He's just so used to that grappling pressure. I mean, him and Habib, you hear stories about how Habib would train with fresh guys and just wearing dudes out constantly in the room. What do you think Islam's doing? He's doing that same damn stuff. I just think he might be a little bit too much. But I think if, if Volkanovski can frustrate him on the feet, make him take bad shots, which we don't ever really see him do. He tries to tie you up a lot of the time anyway. But I think being the smaller, quicker fighter is what what his advantage will be in that fight. Yeah, it's interesting because Islam, you know, Islam's his own fighter, but he does fight so similar to the way that Khabib did. And, you know, Khabib retired early. You know, he retired, you know, he beat Justin, he retired. And and you thought that, you know, Khabib could be a guy who could go on and defend that title five, six, seven times. Now it kind of feels like that with Islam. Like, he just doesn't have a lot of holes in his game. He's so dominant. He never gets away from what gets him there. His grappling, his wrestling, his his his, his sheer dominance in those, in those areas. This is an interesting one, but, like, am I wrong in thinking that Islam... And, again, I know, where, you know this is literally his first title defense, but when you look at the lay of the land of lightweight and who's still at the top, everyone I look at and I say, you know what, Islam could be a guy to defend this title five, six, seven times. And I know that's a tough thing to do, but he's got that kind of style like Habib did, where I think Habib could have done it. He just decided to retire. 
yeah, he decided to walk away and, and, and look at him in this role of kind of this head coach role. I mean, he's, he's great. He's, he's got a squad going right now and these guys love to have him take that role that his father kind of left for him to take over. And, uh, he, damn, he might end up being a better coach than he was ever a fighter, and he goes down as po- possibly one of the greatest to ever do it in the UFC. So that that's saying something. Um, I think with Habib around in Islam's corner, I agree. I think he's going to be a, a, a dominant champion for years, to be honest. I, I'm interested to see, like, I'd love to see Benil Daryush get a shot at it be, before he's finally finished chasing the top picture. Um I'm I'm curious this year to see where Charles bounce, bounces back into this equation too. Um, there's a lot of these young and up and coming guys, and I'm I'm really curious to see their 2023. Uh, uh, Armin Sarukian, um, Gamrock coming back after that loss. I'd like the division is young. And how about the retirement of uh, who was it just recently? Is Magulov? Is he? Yeah, Demir Demir is Magulov. Yeah, he said he retired. Oh, yeah, it was out of nowhere. Man. Out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm curious to find out more and more details as that, as that moves forward, too. I know it's just health issues, but I don't think we've gotten any serious uh, specificity on what that is. But, yeah, Islam and Habib, that combo is – and his striking, man. I think that's where he stands out a little bit more from uh, Nurmagomedov. Is, it, I think he's becoming a pretty decent striker. He, he's shown that he's got power. I mean, he, he – and here's the difference. You put Charles down, a lot of guys don't follow him the mat. Islam puts you down, he's slumping right into there and not afraid to take you on. So, like, w- what style is going to best him? Wrestling, grappling, better striker? We've seen him kind of hang with all these guys. And and I'm one of the people, too, that kind of picked against him or doubted him a little bit just because just he hadn't had the experience. I wouldn't say doubted him, but wanted to see more from him before I call him, you know, a potential greatest of all time in the making. And after that last one, man, he's, whew, he's scary, dude. <laughs> He is. He is very scary. Um, Let me ask you about the welterweight division, because I'm not going to ask you about the biggest threat to the current champion, Leon Edwards, because I think we all know we're headed towards the trilogy with him and Kamara Usman. I think that's an incredible matchup. But I had a conversation on the podcast with Matt Brown, who's my normal co-host on on Fighter versus Writer, and you know we were talking about you know biggest threats. We talked about Hamzat, the Hamzat factor. Is he going to go welterweight? Is he going to go middleweight? I think we both agreed. I think I'd like to see Hamzat in middleweight. Honestly, um, we talked about a couple other matchups, but the thing that Matt brought up, and I know you're going to love hearing this, is he's like, you know what, the guy who I think is the biggest threat that no one's talking about is Bilal Muhammad. He said Bilal Muhammad has a style that he could go with Usman, he can go with Edwards, he can go with Hamzat. He has a pace that no one can keep up with. He said the only guy that can maybe keep up with his pace is Colby. But he said Colby doesn't hit as hard as Bilal. Bilal hits a lot harder, got better striking. Yeah, I think Bilal woke a lot of people up. Of course, I know a fight that kind of broke your heart to see. Bilal and Sean Brady had to go fight. Uh, two guys you're very close with and friends with and training partners with. Um Listen, I, yeah, I listen. I love Leon Edwards. I love the story of Leon Edwards. I love the, the the dramatic, you know, everything that he went through to come back and get that title fight. I still don't particularly like him in the rematch with Usman. I just think Usman is so good. I think he he got caught. Credit to Edwards. I just don't know. But is Bilal is Bilal potentially the the biggest underdog threat we're not talking about right now? I mean, I think you have to throw him in there. Of course, the, the dude has been rattling off wins and people still are like, oh, no, I, I don't know. He's not the guy. He's not the guy. But who do you have to put in front of him? Whoever they put in front of him so far, he's gone in there and he's passed that test and he's looked better each time that he's going to do it. I mean, the Wonder Boy fight, the Sean Brady fight, he, uh, Luke A fight, he, he he switches up his strategy 
and he game plans accordingly. He's got a great fight IQ, in my opinion. And like you talked about, he I, I sparred and trained with Bilal for a long time, and he is nonstop. He is nonstop with the shots. You can you can D him up. You can you can put pressure back at him, and he will not break from that stuff. He's getting stronger too. I see him back. Uh, I just saw him posting some stuff on Instagram. He's getting back to the lifting. Man, if he if he can just keep improving and doing little things each time, he may just kind of surprise everybody, come out of left field and end up getting a title shot one of these days and and, uh, and maybe pulling off the upset. Because of that grappling pressure and the, the durability and the pace that he can set. I think it welterweight and lightweight, those are two things you really have to be able to do. You've got to be able to set an incredible pace. And we saw Leon start to kind of almost get stifled by that a lot towards the end of that fight. And he got rallied up and he came back and got that head kick in the fifth. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what they do with Bilal. He's raising his hand for any of these fights, too. Hamza needed a fight, saying nobody wants to fight him. Bilal's over there going, like, <laughs> I don't understand what everybody's talking about. I'm right here. I'm ready to fight. Uh, and, and I think a guy like that should get rewarded, too, because he is one of those. He's like, look, he's always on social media. He's doing his own podcast and doing all that he's he's talking trash he's out there he's trying to be vocal he's trying to be the image they want he's trying to you know be all over social media and he shows up and fights so uh, i i'd love to see him get in there and, and mix it up at the very very tippy top because he's what top five right now yeah absolutely and he also he's one of the few guys that actually went at connor and had a funny comment about connor on twitter he's actually hilarious on social media he oh, cracks dude, me always, up on twitter he's going at connor he's <laughs> He's so good. Um, yeah. I mentioned the name Hamza Chamaya because we're not really sure what's going to happen with Hamza. You know, I'd love to sit here and say, well, maybe he'll get a welterweight title shot. Maybe he'll get a middleweight title shot. I know he's kind of calling for everything. He's kind of in the middle. They talked about him fighting Colby. I don't know. Like, it just like why we're not seeing that fight. Colby's got the whole thing with Mazadol going on. I don't know if that's what's in playing interference. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, we got uh, Hamza saying he would go up to 185. And I'll be honest, I think he is a legitimate threat if they actually gave him Alex Pereira. I'm curious, as a guy who, you know, you, you call the sport, you know the sport, you've seen Hamzad. Where should Hamzad fight? Because I, I, a lot of people say, go to middleweight. Anthony Smith told me, go to middleweight. That weight cut's going to kill you eventually. Go to middleweight. There's a there's a short path to a title shot there because so many guys have already fought for the title, things like that. Other people say, well, he's already had a huge win over Gilbert Burns at welterweight. you got to go to welterweight. So where do you fall in the whole Hamzad thing? Eventually, maybe he'll do both. But right now, what should be next for Hamzad Chemaev? I mean, I, originally I thought it was welterweight, but then two two cuts in a row looked really really bad for him. And I've and I've been around the guy a bunch. He, he's he, a he's big enough to fight at eighty five. I want to say he wouldn't be the biggest eighty fiver, but we all know damn well he's strong enough to compete probably at two hundred five if he had to. Uh, so I think middleweight. I, I, I think if you're already having those types of issues this early on in your UFC career at welterweight as you get older, where is that going to go? We all know it's not going to get easier. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. You're going to hate fighting more. If you think you can beat the guys at 185 and you're calling for all that stuff and you're not afraid to fight those guys, move up and do that then. And I agree. There is a much clearer, easier path. I won't say easy, but quicker path to getting to that title shot. And then you get there, you can kind of call the shots a lot more than you already could if you're just a contender. Once you have that gold strap and you want to fight for another belt, you know Dana would be very intrigued in making those types of matchups at welterweight. But just pick one that's going to get you there and the, the healthier, safer way to get to that 
185 pound belt is easier. Then you can take your time if you try to fight for that double strap. And then you can really focus us on, uh, you know, kind of getting the nutrition down and making that weight cut a little easier. And you won't have to do it as much because now you're fighting right for the belt if you're already the champion at, at middleweight. So I'm, I'm I, think, I think that's the way to go. I think there's actually, weirdly to say this, even though middleweight's bigger, I think there's actually more difficult matchups for him at welterweight because when you think about a guy like Colby or a guy like Bilal who can push that pace, got good wrestling, good striking, and you you just went through a really hard weight cut, now you got to go five rounds with Colby, you got to go five rounds with Bilal. That's yeah. t- I, again, that's not a knock on the middleweights out there. No, you know, no one's going to just run through Robert Whitaker or or Marvin Vittori or Roman Delize, who's looked incredible lately. Oh, yeah, but great. You know, but like I said, that the one question when you go through a really, really bad weight cut and you're in a five round fight, can you keep up with Bilal Muhammad in round four and round five? Can you keep up with Colby Covington in round four and round five? I mean, he had some issues with I mean, again, that was a crazy war, but Gilbert Burns pushed him really hard in a three round fight. Can he do that for five rounds? So I again I think it's I think it's weird to say. I think there's actually tougher matchups for him at welterweights. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you're talking about that was at one seventy one was the weight he was at that you you start fighting for belts at 170. You got to make that on the nose. That's even harder to do. Then, like you said, you've got the five round fights, and you've got in the welterweight division, you've got really durable cardio machines who will push into those fourth and and even excel as the rounds get deeper. So, uh, you know, you get some of these big strikers up at 85. Now, granted, they're dangerous. They touch your chin with a knee or a punch or something like that. They could end your night, but. Being such a strong grappler and pressure fighter, he is. He's he's good at ending things early. He's good at finding submissions early on the mat by just making you feel like you're suffocating. I think that's I think that's the cleaner path. And man, the longer I'm out of the fighting game myself and I'm not doing that weight cut, I look back and I just think it's so bad. It's so so bad to be doing um, that drastic weight cut where you're barely making it or you're missing it or you're you know you're having to come back on and off the stage and try to cut more weight. Like those, those things are signs that I think it's, it's not your weight class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the biggest stories going into 2023 that we're going to be talking about in the heavyweight division is Francis Ngannou coming back and the potential of him fighting John Jones. Of course, that's the fight everyone's been talking about. Now I'm going to play under the assumption that Francis is going to get his contract stuff sorted out and he's going to come back to the UFC because honestly, I think that's still where he's going to make the most money and have the biggest opportunities. It seems like the Tyson Fury thing has kind of gone away because Tyson is now back in boxing. He's setting up, you know, potentially for that Alexander Usyk fight. Seems like that's kind of gone away from from Francis. And let's be honest, he's going to make a boatload of money to fight on pay-per-view against somebody like John Jones. But let me focus on the John Jones angle because we've been waiting so long for this to happen over three years coming up on three years he hasn't fought now i've said on the record numerous times paul i think you know john jones may be the greatest mixed martial artist of all time i don't doubt how good he can be but like are we is the time is the clock ticking on like we gotta see him back sooner rather than later because you know time runs out for everybody i mean he's in his mid-30s now i mean so much time has passed like he was a young 30 now he's mid-30s it's just because he's been gone for three years and, the, and you're not getting those same reps, right? Even if you're staying fit, you're staying in the gym, you're, you're, you're doing your work. If you're not getting that stimulus of going into the octagon, going through fight fight weekend and going through all the media, it, it can be a lot. And things change, right? Things change over the years and you've been away from it. It's a shock to the system to come back. And then you got to come back and you're fighting a guy like Francis Ngannou who can take your head off with a single punch. 
yeah, I would say that let's get you in there, man, before we're saying how good could have John Jones been at heavyweight if he hadn't taken X amount of years off. I, I hate that this has been held up this long. I mean, if you're going to fight, let's get your ass back in there. Let's get you a fight. And, and I think he deserves, you know, say what you want about the man and his personal drama and all that kind of stuff. But like you said, he's one of the greatest fighters, if not the greatest fighter ever. He deserves kind of whatever they want to give him at, at at heavyweight. And I think giving him an immediate title fight against one of the biggest guys out there right now is just, it's all good business, but they, they, they've got to hurry up. Yeah. So let me ask this. I know this is an impossible question to answer because we just don't know, but knowing the talent, you know, John at heavyweight, like I've said for a long time, I think he would be a great heavyweight. The, the only thing that scares me, and I've said this numerous times, is that John Jones, towards the latter part of his career, like heavyweight, he did start taking a few punches here and there. Now, there's nothing wrong with that show, a good channel, those kind of things. But you play that game with Francis Ngannou. You play that game with Sergei Pavlovich. Look what that dude's doing right now. You know what I mean? You play yeah. games like that, one punch, and it's over. You know, you play that game with, with, with Derek Lewis or even Curtis Blades, guys who have that huge one-punch knockout power. Can I ask, like, in your opinion, how does John Jones translate to light heavyweight? Because some of the tools he he used, like the the reach, are, the reach is still going to be there. That crazy eighty inch reach, whatever it is, eighty, whatever the crazy reach he has is, that's still going to be there. He's still going to be big. I've stood next to John. He is a massive dude. Like he's not yeah. going to be undersized, like height wise or anything. But you know, Francis is going to flicks you and your head flies off and it's in the third row. So how do you think John is going to translate to heavyweight? Cause I am curious. Like there's, that has to be a bit of an unanswered question right now. Well, I, yeah, I, I think, um, I think as long as he uses what makes John Jones, uh, the superstar and the, 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 the champion that he was is his fight IQ and knowing how, just figuring guys out and how to approach them. I think as long as he can do that, and I think it'll almost be even a little easier because at light heavyweight guys are a little bit faster. Um, they're not quite as big. So if he gets some of these big lumbering guys and just makes them miss, makes makes them make mistakes, can use his footwork, use his angles, uh, mix in his takedowns. I mean, he's so good. So everywhere he's got great, uh, great boxing elbows from distance. I, I think those are the things that he's got to do. He can't, he kind of got, I don't want to say he got lazy towards the end of his light heavyweight career, but he was just, be I mean, he had beaten everybody. So I think he was just getting a little lackadaisical in there. Whereas when he makes his return at heavyweight, I think there'll be a little bit more like, okay, I'm not effing around here. I'm not here. This isn't my 12th title defense. This isn't this. I need to go out there and get the job done. So I think he'll be looking to make a statement when he does come back. And the only thing, the other thing that worries me is when you put on size like that, you can say you're keeping your speed all you want, but we don't know, right? That's going to be a big, huge question mark on his return is, well, yeah, you've put on muscle, you've put on size, you're a lot stronger, you can hang with these guys now, but have you slowed yourself down to being more like a traditional heavyweight? I think that that's a big X factor too, because all those skills, all that movement, controlling the range, a lot of that is going to have to do with speed. And if that's gone and time off, time away from the octagon, We'll see, but I want yeah, to see it. I do too. It's interesting though. I think John said he's weighing like two sixty. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe that's not the right move. Like I still, I still consider the most talented heavyweight of all time. Just unfortunately, injuries killed him. Was was Kane Velasquez, and Kane was two thirty. You know, he was not the biggest guy in the world. You know, you look at guy. Stipe was never the biggest guy in the world. So you know, maybe putting oh. on thirty or forty pounds extra, maybe not. Maybe that might backfire a little bit on you. 
That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That that's going to be a, a a big variable for me. Um, and Stipe even lost even more weight towards the end of his career. He was he was going the opposite way where he wanted to get um, super lighter and, and fast. But I don't know that 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 mental switch going from you know you've got a cap on your weight class. You you can't be heavier than two o five. Then suddenly you're in a well now it's two o six to what two sixty six. That's a yeah. that's a big jump, and that can mess with you, especially as a guy who's always been kind of taller and leaner and a little thinner, like John. You you, you might not be able to help yourself, but think I got it, I got to I got to put more size on. Now, granted, you want to put some size on. You don't want to be walking around at two twenty in that weight class. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see if he if it can get done. What that weight gain will do to him? Is he more powerful now, or is he just going to be a bit um, slower? Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the bantamweight division in a second before I get you out of here, Paul. But one thing I got to address, because we're talking about 2023, the biggest things coming up. We all have to imagine, or we at least think we're going to imagine, the return this year of Conor McGregor. You know, Conor had the the broken leg in 2021. All signs were pointing to him coming back in 2022. Didn't come back. Now he's got this whole USADA thing going on. He's out of the USADA testing pool. He's got to go through six months of testing. As far as I understand, he hasn't gotten back in the pool yet. So we're looking at maybe June, July at the earliest. That's if he gets in the pool today. Um, I know they're talking, he's talking about welterweight. I've said for years and Connor did not like it when I said this. He, he, he tweeted, kind of put me on blast on Twitter about it. When I said, I don't think he's a welterweight. I just said weight classes exist for a reason. And I don't think Connor's a welterweight. Um, he's talking about welterweight. He's not middleweight. He's talking about all these different things. And I know the fight. Everyone's talking about is him and, and uh, Michael Chandler. I think that is the fight that makes the most sense for him. But can I can I ask you, Paul, like, what do we think is going to happen with Connor this year? Because the sport's always going to rally around Connor. When Connor comes back, it's going to be a big deal. We can't ignore the stardom he brings along with us. But you know, he's not a title contender right now. He's just not. You know, you lose twice to Dustin Poirier. You're not in that conversation right now. He wins one or two. Maybe we can talk about it. Where does Con- like how much does Conor McGregor still matter in 2023? Well, I, I think he'll always matter, right? As long as he's at least teasing the idea of a return. But that that's what worries me is he's so busy. He's filming. He's filming. Uh, you know, Roadhouse and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if that is over or or not. But man. <laughs> It's tough. You're, you're you're on yachts. You've got your your mansions. You've got all this stuff. You've got businesses that you're working on. You you're coming back from a huge injury. You take yourself out of the USADA testing pool. You've got to wait to get back in it. I don't know. I I don't know if we're gonna see him in 2023. To be to be completely honest with you, if you're not even back in the testing pool yet, um, I I just don't I don't know and I you know and this I I don't mean this in any disrespect but I do think that the division is just passing passing him by badly I think it's passing a lot of us you know I I mean I'm older than than him by by a few years at least but man just that this next generation of fighters if you're not in there mixing it up with them and on the mats with those types of dudes every day I know he's training but he's going to have to definitely hope for for fights like Michael Chandler, who's a beast, but those are the guys that you, you can still compete with. You, you don't want to be fighting Armin Sarukian or Gamrod or, you know, uh, these young, hungry, absolute maniacs that are they're working, working their way up the division. 
Yeah, you look at guys like Fiziev, you look at uh yeah, you yeah, look at I mean yeah. Yeah, Makachev I mean the Makachev is gonna be a nightmare matchup for a Conor McGregor. And like I said, that's just the unfortunate side of where he's at and where the division has gone. Um yeah, I mean it's just uh, Oliveira. I mean, I think Oliveira would still be a bad matchup for Conor. Like there's just and that's like I said, you're right. Like and, and again, time waits for no one. You know what I mean? Like yeah. time waits for no fighter. And that's really the thing. I'm not saying that that let's say that he hadn't gone and and done the Mayweather thing and just strictly stuck to to MMA, I think he would have been a dangerous champion and and done some damage for a long time. But I think you take yourself out, you focus on another sport, and then you're you got time away, and then you know the pandemic hits, and you come back, and you, you get that leg injury, and I just think it's it's a lot of stuff going on to be able to come back at at the tippy top of the lightweight or welterweight division. And I and I agree, I don't think he's necessarily he, he's huge right now that doesn't mean you're natural you know what i mean it doesn't mean you should be that huge yeah and welterweights i don't like i said welterweights uh you look at the top of that division it's a lot of grapplers i don't think that's what connor wants he does not want to come back and see a Bilal muhammad standing across the cage from him that's just a recipe for disaster Oh, Bilal would love that one, though. Oh, he would. He would absolutely love that. Uh, real quick before I get you out here, Paul, I saved the best for last because I think maybe my favorite division in sport right now is the bantamweight division. Aljamain Sterling is cursed on top. It looks like we're going to see him and Henry Cejudo in the early part of this year. Of course, we just yeah. matched up. Oh, my God. Cheeto Vera and, and, and Corey that's, Sanhagen. That, now that we're talking about it, that, that's one I should have mentioned in the beginning. And that's an apex show, man. That's oh. like... Now talk about a fight that easily just pick a city in the U.S. at a, at a smaller arena, man. Who doesn't want to see that fight in, in front of like ten thousand, fifteen thousand people? I mean, yeah, ridiculous. But you got Sean O'Malley, of course, out there. He just came off the big win over Piotr Jan. Um, Bantamweight is so good right now, you know. And we, I don't. Let me let me start. Let me just ask you this, Paul, because I guess you know we we all know Sean O'Malley has proven how good he is. Cheeto Vera, we know how good he is coming up to win over Dominic Cruz and the things he's doing. We know how good Corey Sandhagen is, uh, even though he had a couple losses in there. There's no shame whatsoever. I thought he beat TJ Dillashaw. Sorry, TJ. Didn't think he won that fight. Um, and he obviously had the war with Peter Young. He took down a short notice. Credit to him for sticking around and having a great fight there. Come back and get the win over Song Yudong. Um but Henry Cejudo is kind of the weird X factor here because he is the former champion. I think Henry's one of the top pound for pound fighters ever in the sport. You know, went over Demetrius Johnson, gold medalist in wrestling, all these kind of things. What do you expect out of Henry coming back? Because it looks like he's going to get the title shot, and I'm okay with that. I don't really have a problem with that. Um, when he was at his, when he left, you know, kind of, kind of like the the Khabib thing. Like he thought maybe this guy could go on a run, and then he retires yeah. out of nowhere. What should we expect out of how much does Henry Cejudo being back mean to the Bantamweight division? I mean, I, I think it's it just shows you how strong that division is right now and how many uh absolute savages there are, man. And all different skill sets, great big power punchers, volume guys, guys like Cheeto that wait to the end of the fight to just turn it up out of nowhere on you and, and figure you out. And Sandhagen with his knees, flying knees, elbows. Um I think he's going to be a nice addition in there. And if he can get the belt back, then, you know, guys are going to want to beat this guy. You know, you got triple C people want to take this guy out. You got an Olympian, a double champion. He's the guy that was the, the belt holder. That's who people want to go and get the belt from. So I think him coming back, if he can go and win now, granted, he's got to get past Aljamain to do that. But um, I like it. I like that. He's coming back. And I think he's going to be strong, man. I, I really do. I, I think he stepped away just because, 
I think he wanted a break. And I, he's been talking about coming back forever. I think he truly d- does miss the competition. And I think he knows that he's just such a, such a sick athlete that he can come back and, and give any one of these guys a run for their money. If not, go and get that belt back and hold it for a while. So the king of cringe, man, I think he's going to mix up the division real nicely when he, when he comes back. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, him and Aljamain's a really, really interesting fight. I actually leaned a little bit towards Aljamain just because of the activity factor. You know, Aljamain has been very, very active, fighting nothing but killers, you know, fighting Pierre-Yan a couple times. Obviously, mm-hmm. the fight with Dillashaw didn't go the way we all hoped, but that's on TJ. That's not on Aljamain uh, yeah. to go out there and do that, you know. So it's like that's a really interesting matchup. But again, if Henry if Henry could beat Aljamain, Man, talk about the matchups that are out there for, and again, same thing for Aljamain. I mean, Aljamain and, and Sean O'Malley would be big, but Sean O'Malley and Henry, that would be a huge fight. I don't know. There's just, I love the Bantamweight division right now. Like, I think it may be my favorite division in the sport right now. And, and you, and I wouldn't have said that a couple of years ago. No, it's the, it's the new lightweight division. A lot of people are arguing that, that this is now, we've always said that the lightweight division is the, is the greatest division in the UFC. And I still think it's always going to be top three. Uh, if not number two, but right now, I I mean, just the the top fifteen. You got to look at the top fifteen of got and man, just the names that we just mentioned uh, in the last few minutes in the bantamweight division. It, it's fun, man. It, they're all so damn good because they're they're big enough to knock each other across the damn ring and beat knock each <laughs> other out cold, submit each other, and they are just so athletic, so fast. Um, the pace and the the cardio on these guys is incredible. So they're like a mix of the flyweights and, and the and the lightweights. They kind of meet in the middle there, and you get something spectacular. Yeah, it's going to be good. We got a great year ahead. There's matchups we couldn't even talk about because we don't know for sure if they're going to happen. But a lot of big fights coming up. Uh, Paul, before I get you out of here, what are you got next? Uh, do we do you know when you're commentating? What you what you got shows coming up when you're when you're going to be working? Yeah, so I'll be back for January fourteenth. Um, then I'm in Brazil and those are the two in January. And then I've, I've got them all spattered out. I was supposed to go overseas. I think that got canceled. Now it's going to be the apex in February. Um, I don't know if that was ever even full public knowledge of where we were going for that one, but I'm sure there's lots of rumor bills on, uh, where we were going to go cough cough south korea <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so, um we're hoping that you know i was hoping that's going to work out we'll see where that's going to be but um yeah so i'm busy at least one one or two of most times two or three a month uh at this point moving forward nice little break here at home though hanging out with the family for for the holidays is nice but uh yeah next week um i go out and i actually start working on hacks and then go right to vegas and uh and film the 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 fights on Saturday. So I was just gonna mention like about hacks. What a what a phenomenal show that is. What fun that is. Gene so I love Gene Smart. I think she's incredible. Uh that yeah. show, I mean, won every award out there, man. How much fun? Because I know we talked years ago when you were still fighting. I remember talking to you about getting into acting again after yeah. fighting was over. How much fun is it to like actually get to go out there and do this now? Well, it's it's a ton of fun. And um especially to be on a show that, you know, wh- when I booked the part a couple of years ago, you, you know, I knew who the, the actresses and the actors were and the thing, but you never know how, how it's going to turn out and how it's going to be received and to see it blow up the way it has and to watch it myself as a fan. And like you said, Gene Smart is a, just a, an absolute uh, legend and a sweetheart as well. Um, 
you know, she's 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 big in the world of acting and the world of theater and in everything to do with acting. And she is as humble as they come. She's as nice as they come. So uh, definitely everyone go check out Hacks. It's a hilarious show. And season three com- coming up on deck. I, lo- I love it. Paul, it is always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for doing the preview with me. I uh, look forward to seeing you back in action on January 14th down in Brazil. And thank you for doing this. You know, I appreciate it. Oh, man. Thanks for having me on. Always good to uh, to do these um year year reviews of what what's coming up so absolutely appreciate it paul we'll talk soon okay all right buddy all right bye-bye bye the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba DraftKings brings you same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. A big thank you to Paul Felder. We did this last year as like a year ahead preview. I felt like it was apropos to bring him back on for another uh, look ahead at the year uh, that we have here in the UFC. Uh, obviously, things kick off this weekend with the UFC Fight Night event, and then we roll right into UFC 283 in Brazil, which should be a lot of fun. Glover Teixeira taking on Jamal Hill. And, of course, Devison Figueredo taking on Brandon Moreno in the co-main event, along with the final fight of the legend himself, Mauricio Shogun Hua. So lots to talk about with that next week. I'm sure we'll share some of our favorite memories of Shogun. So I know both both Matt and I have been big Shogun fans uh, for his entire career. I had a chance to actually meet and hang out with Shogun a little bit um, not that long. But years ago in Hawaii, uh, when he was still in Pride, it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had being around him. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about all that next week. But for right now, I want to feature an interview with Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee's been kind of out of the spotlight for the better part of the last year. He had a win over Diego Sanchez in Eagle FC. He had a knee injury, and then he kind of just disappeared. And he recently popped back up on social media celebrating the birth of his first child, which was awesome to see. Uh, now we're going to talk about Kevin's career. Where is he going next? And we do get an indication of that in this interview, uh, along with him signing with new management and, uh, and a lot more. So let's talk right now to Kevin Lee. One of my favorite guys to speak to in this sport, and I am always happy to speak to him, but I'm glad to speak to him right now because I know he's on the comeback trail with a big plans for 2023. I am always happy to speak to Kevin Lee. Kevin, what's going on? What's happening, Damon? What's going on? Not much, man. You, you know, it's, I'm good, man. It's a, it's a Lee week for me. I don't know if you know, I actually talked to your brother Keith like two days ago and did an interview with him. He is blowing up right now, and I was like, it's so funny. I had, yeah. I did not put two and two together when I started following him on TikTok. I was like, that's Kevin's brother. So yeah, it was, it was yeah. good timing. So it's been, a, it's been a busy week for the Lee family for me. Yeah, I, I've had a bunch of people uh, say that to me. They didn't even know it was my brother. They just found him through some other way. But 
he's starting to be one of the biggest uh, social media stars in the world at this point. Um, so I'm, I'm super, I'm proud of him. I'm happy for him. I'm all of that. All of yeah. It, it, it's awesome. That, yeah, it's so cool. So cool to see that. Also, before we get started on the fight stuff, man, let me tell you, congratulations. I know you welcomed your son to the world recently. Uh, how is how is being a dad? Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's a little tiring. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. You know, you, you, but it's so, like, fulfilling. And it's so, like, it gives you just a different sense of purpose. You know, it gives you just, it's, it's, it's so, like, rewarding i guess is the right word yeah it's, it I can, gets be- better each day uh i just love it man i love it yeah i could i i don't have kids so i can't i can't put myself in your shoes but it seems like you know you were you were very happy to be a dad you were you were you seemed so excited and i know you got to spend some time with the holidays with your family so they got to meet your son so i'm sure it was like a a really a crazy time these past few weeks yeah yeah it's been crazy i mean i i honestly wish i would have had kids earlier um from just from the feeling that I get from it. But you know, when you growing up and people are saying, don't, don't do it. Wait till you later, wait till you later. I wish somebody would have told me like, go ahead. Just, yeah, it's actually not that bad. And, <laughs> and you get so much more from it. I mean, he's still young, right? I'm still learning and I'm still growing as a father, but just as what I feel like right off the bat is I wish I would have did this years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, Kevin, let's let's talk about the fight stuff because we spoke yep. uh, before your last fight, of course, the win over Diego Sanchez, getting to fight at 165, doing the Eagle FC thing. I know you had a bit of a knee injury after that fight. I know you had posted about a month later that you avoided surgery. Let me start there. Like, how is then? Like, did it end up being that? Like, was the knee worse or better, or how did it go? Because it looked pretty bad at the time. It, it was bad. Um, it was it was a full tear. Uh, but it's something that, that I've got to work with a new strength coach. I got to work with like three or four different physical therapists to bring me back to, to what I was before it even happened. Um, so it, it was pretty bad, but now I'm a hundred percent cleared. Um, and I'm a hundred percent healthy. I can do everything. I can run, I can jump, and I'm jumping just as high as I did before, uh, even after the ACL surgery. So um yeah it's 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 healed but it was pretty bad uh after that fight was it acl or mcl what was the tear uh acl acl tear so i I had acl surgery in in on this knee in may of 2020 and uh that same that same acl tour again uh and i think it was a bit of a meniscus too but you know I'm a wrestler. We always have meniscus issues. But you were able to avoid surgery, which is big because I know usually with an ACL tear, you have to go under surgery again. Yeah, yeah. And th- that was something that I really wanted to avoid. You know, I did it the first time. Um, and the recovery from the surgery is just so brutal and such a long process that I felt like I could have did the same thing with the out- without the surgery, you know. And and now we're, we're sitting at about nine months from – nine or 10 months from, from that date. And, uh, and I'm fully recovered. So I think if I would have had the surgery, I would still be out for another six or seven months. Wow. And yeah, I, just I know. wasn't willing to, to sit for that long. Yeah. And I know it was a crazy, I mean, you had two knee surgeries, you had all that time off. I know it was a crazy time for you. I'm sure you didn't want to have to take off another year and a half. No, no, no. I gotta, I gotta get back to it, you know? And, and these are my prime years, you know, I'm not going to waste them sitting on the side. I'm, I'm, I've always been one that I'm going to roll the dice and, and I'm not afraid to to face the consequences and, and how this thing is going to turn out. So 
um, I, I feel totally, I feel totally healthy. I feel totally, um, um, powerful, just as in, in shape. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a good decision. I think not to have the surgery. Yeah. So you mentioned, like we saw the Diego Sanchez fight. It was an incredible performance, especially doing it on one leg for basically the entire fight to go out there and get that win. You started kind of building that momentum back after the UFC release. Unfortunately, you did have to take the time off afterwards, but I know you just recently signed on with new management, working with Ali Abdelaziz. A lot of people, of course, know him. He manages Islam Makachev, managed Habib Nurmagomedov for years, Kamara Usman, the list goes on and on. Let me start there. Like, How did that relationship start? Yeah, so so uh, we worked together to to sign this ego deal, right? It was through my manager Markel Martin, but uh, really it was Ali was our contact there. He he was the one that that I talked to the most, um, and we'd known each other for years. You know, we we were training partners. Uh, we we've just known each other through being in the same spaces, and he's somebody that that I've got respect for. So as we as as this whole thing has kind of been developing, and Eagle FC is taking a back seat right they're, they're not able to throw shows in the u.s for a while uh it just made sense that that me and ali would just keep talking keep speaking and eventually it got to the point where he might as well be my manager and and, and we make this thing happen i think he's the one that can really take my career to to a next to another another level um it's taken a, a change of of gyms for me it's taken a change of of trainers and now it's taking a change of management in a change of promotion next and I'm going to be a completely different fighter. Yeah. So let me, let me backtrack a little bit because we all know, you know, when the UFC release happened um, and we talked about that before, Listen, I'm not. I don't want to turn this negative, but we know that there was conflict there with with your old management team at CAA. The whole situation going yep. on with Francis and Ganu, it got kind of ugly. Now CAA yep. has completely stopped doing combat sports. They're out of there now. I know your former manager Markel, good guy. Uh, I don't think he was a bad yep. person by any stretch of the imagination, but I know there was conflict there with CAA, Endeavor, all that kind of stuff. So yep. that went away. Was that did that also precipitate the, the move? Because I know CAA, you were with Markel, that was with CAA. CAA no longer represents fighters right 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 so it just at, at that point I, i'm i'm always loyal to people right and i'm and i was loyal to markel but without that backing of 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 caa and and kind of their you know this is a team sport especially when you start talking about management it's all about relationships that you have with other people so so without that it made it hard to to really push for the deals that we need to get done um and especially this next phase of my career we 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 definitely need to stay on top of of the contracts and the deals and and exactly what's going on. Um, just to give an example, if it was just me and Markel that were that was doing the deal with Eagle, I would still be stuck with them and still be on the sidelines because they're not throwing shows. And so the fact that we worked out such a good deal with Eagle to where I can be a free agent now is is the type of thing that I'm looking for in the future too. And in order for me to do that, we need to have that team without without CAA's back in it, it makes it kind of hard to do that. Sure, absolutely. And and to that point, I was going to ask you about Eagle FC because obviously you fought on their card and they had a they had a really big 2021. They started out have some big shows, but it yeah. seems like they've kind of kind of gone away from the US. I know they've done some shows overseas again. So is that was that your understanding is that they were not going to be promoting cards in the US for a while and that that also led to the relationship changing with Ali, because obviously you don't want him yeah. to be your promoter and your manager. So that allowed him to be, is that, am I getting that right? That's what allowed him exactly. to become your manager. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, cause, cause now he's no longer going to be acting as my promoter. Um, now what happened with the promotion? It's kind of, 
smoke and mirrors is kind of up for, for speculation, right? I think nobody was able to predict the, the state of the world these days, right? Nobody was able to, to see some of these things happening uh, to where this Russia-backed organization can't can't throw shows in the U.S. I, at least that's my speculation. You know, I, I haven't been told that directly, but I'm just like everybody else. I'm kind of figuring out, like, you know, what the hell going on. Um, cause like you said, they, they throw, they were throwing good shows. They, they were great shows. We, we brought in over half a million subscribers just to watch my fight alone. Um, and then they were kind of building on that momentum and then out of nowhere it, it gets stopped. Uh, so I was kind of looking forward to, to having Khabib wrap that belt around me, you know, especially as a 165 pounder, but you know, sometimes we got to throw an audible and, and, and see what happens and, and I got to do what's best for my career and for my family. Absolutely. We all got to understand, listen, you know, unfortunately, that's the that's the, the downside of the unfortunate conflict and the invasion in Ukraine is that a lot of Russian people get caught in the middle of it. Right. Like the Russian people mm-hmm. have nothing to do with it. They have nothing to do with the war. But, you know, because of visas and travel restrictions and financial restrictions, all these kind of things happen. Yeah, it would mm-hmm. make sense. Like I, I thought about that myself when I, when I was like, where is Eagle FC? Why haven't they put on a show? That's, you yeah. know, makes sense why. So once you, so at this point, Kevin, now that you are signed with Ali, are you officially a free agent? Like you are free and clear to sign anywhere. Yeah. 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 I'm a free agent. Yep. I can sign with, uh, and I'm in talks with other promotions, you know, we're in deep negotiations with PFL. Uh, it's looking like PFL is going to be the place. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I had a good contract with Eagle where I, I could, uh, talk with other promotions. Okay, that's awesome. Now, PFL is doing some big things right now. I'm sure you just saw the news. Jake Paul signed there, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. He's going to be going over there. Um, I'm a big believer in their brand. Their their championship card back in November was incredible. It was a really, really fun card. Uh, and they've had a yep. lot of talent over there. I know it's not a done deal yet, but, but when you look at PFL, does that present like challenges that are interesting to you, I imagine? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, right off the bat, you got the million-dollar tournament. Um, a million dollars sounds hella nice right now. <laughs> you know, that, that's something that, that, that interests me more than anything. Uh, but then, like you said, they, they signed Jake Paul a few days ago and I'm still kind of mulling over and, and seeing the, 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 uh, details of this, right? Because they're, they're starting a super fight division. They're giving 50, 50% uh, split to between the fighters and the promoter on, on a pay-per-view. Um, I mean, that just seems like everything's in the right direction and, and, it seems like a lot can come of that. Uh, we got to get down to the details of the contract. And like I said, this is a few days ago. So there's certain things that are that are unclear. But a 50-50 split, that sounds good to me. I mean, <laughs> I, I was one of the biggest stars in, in the UFC, you know. And, and I got to thank the UFC. They, they've kind of made me a household name in MMA. When we go over my numbers, I mean, almost 12 million people have watched me fight live. It's been almost 150 million people have have watched me in some way or another, whether it's a highlight or or whatever it is. Uh, They've shot numerous countdown shows and reality shows, and I've done all this stuff through them. Um, and now I'm able to to kind of capitalize on that. And I think PFL is is definitely a major player in the game now. And uh, I, I hope that pretty soon that we have a a, a done deal. Yeah. Can I ask, because when you went to Eagle FC, one of the exciting parts about that was you finally getting the chance to compete at 165 pounds, which is a weight class, yeah. you know, a lot of fighters want to see. Now, we know, obviously, yeah. over at PFL, that's not there. They have welterweight, they have lightweight. Yeah. So where would you fight? Do you have an idea? It, it would be welterweight, but 
then again, with this whole, you know, super fight division that they're putting on, uh, I could see, still see an opportunity to fight at a, at a catchweight later down the road, you know, whether that be a 165 or maybe even 175 or, or whatever uh, it is that these guys are doing. And, and if guys like Jake Paul are, are serious about fighting, then, you know, they they could make different weight classes, you know, they, they could play around with it. But for right now, we're, we're looking at 170. Uh, the the way I see it is I fight at 170, win the million dollars, and then we go from there and, and put on some pay-per-view fights. Would you say your days of lightweight are done, or is there still a future where lightweight could happen? No, I, I could definitely still make lightweight. Um, I could wait make lightweight now, uh, but it would it would you would have to dangle that carrot for me. <laughs> you, you'd have to give me something to to take these years off my life. Um, because that's what I'd be doing if 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 I was to make that cut again. I, I've been doing this a long time, right? I've I've got almost thirty professional fights. Um, that's a lot of time cutting that weight. So I could do it if if the right fight presents itself and the right promotion and the right everything behind it. But um, for now, it's it's going to be one seventy in 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 my future. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And also, if you go in the PFL season, you'd be cutting weight, you know, four times in six months. There ain't no way you're doing that at lightweight. That would just be good. No. That would be impossible on your body. Um, no, that no, being no said, way. you mentioned PFL. And again, I'm going to get locked on PFL a little bit because when Jake Paul signed immediately, he said, you know, Nate Diaz, come over and fight. Let's box. Let's do this kind of stuff. And I'm like, we never got to see Kevin Lee and Nate Diaz. That would be a pay-per-view fight, right? Like, that's where you're talking about. Like, that could be a ma- a huge fight. Because Jake Paul's not going to be ready to fight MMA right away. We know that. You know what I mean? Like, right. he ain't going to do it for right. a year, year and a half. You and Nate Diaz, that could headline a pay-per-view. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you have so many big fights. You got me and Nate Diaz. Uh, I hear their son and Eddie Alvarez, too. So me and Eddie, we we never got to fight. You know, we we kind of had a couple back and forths here and there. Um, that would be a great fight. Me and Anthony Pettis is, is another big one. There, there's a lot of big names and a lot of big fights to be had at, at PFL, and and especially if they get to sign Nate Diaz too. Of course, yeah, that that's on that's on pay per view for sure, and it's it'll be a great fight. I think uh, there's a lot of questions that I could answer for a lot of people, and you know, I'm one of the most experienced people in the world at at this point. Yeah. One thing I've always complimented you on, Kevin, because we go back a long ways and we've talked for a lot of your careers. I've always considered you a very intelligent person, a very intelligent person when it comes to your career and the way you, you approach your career. So I'm asking this, knowing that it looks like it's going to be PFL and hopefully we'll hear that deal getting done. Do you, let me just start. Let me start here. Do you think that deal will get done relatively soon? Is that kind of the hope? Yeah, I, I think so. I think within the next week we'll, we'll get the deal done for sure. Okay. When everything happened with the UFC, you know, when I, I, I was the original person who reported the release and it kind of broke my heart because I was like, I just, I didn't understand it. It never made sense to me. And to this day, it doesn't. Now, looking at the full picture, we all kind of understood what happened, right? And again, I don't want to keep throwing the whole CAA thing out there, but I think we all saw the writing on the wall that that played a part in it. Um, yeah. Sounds like you're moving forward. You've already moved forward with Eagle FC. Now it looks like you're moving forward with PFL. But now that you do have kind of a fresh start right here, would you say that the door is still open maybe one day to going back to the UFC? And again, I don't know if it'll happen, but I'm saying it doesn't seem like there's bad blood there. It seems like, you, it seems like you're in a good place now to where you've been able to kind of understand the downside, I don't know. You tell me, like, is there animosity yeah. because that now, like now that you've had time to reflect on it all? Um, there, there's no animosity. There's, there, there's no animosity at all. Um, you know, I, I, I look at what, what they've actually given me. Right. I, and I did have the opportunity and they gave me the big spot that, that I was looking for. Um, 
So it, it might have ended a little sour, but I, when I look back and I look back at the seven years that I was what that I was in the UFC with 18 fights, I mean, there's there's only a handful of guys in the world that can that can say that, right? There's only so many guys that can say they made it to a top five uh, of, of being in the UFC. So I, I don't there's there's no animosity, and maybe one day I will fight again for him. I, I don't know. We we don't know how this is gonna play out. Uh, with the right fight, and and there are a couple fights that that I would love to have still. I would love to still have that Oliveira uh, rematch. I don't think I had a fair fight in that one. Um, there's a couple fights that that I, I could see me going back for, but there there's no animosity. There's I, I love the people at the UFC. Um, there's a lot of people that that I, I built deep connections with that I still talk to. Um, so there there's nothing. There's no hate on my side at least. Yeah, and but that being said, we had this same conversation when you signed with Eagle FC. How nice is it yeah. that there are options like this? Like you can go to PFL and become a millionaire. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. things like that. Like that. Yeah. That's a big deal that you can actually go there and make not only a, a living but a good living. Like you don't have to be yeah. in the UFC to do this. PFL is doing really, really well. And, and again, the Jake Paul deals out there. I mean, they're not they're not paying peanuts. So I mean, again, you got to yeah. be happy that it's not UFC or bust. You know what I mean? You can go to a place like PFL and make a good living. Yeah, and 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 that million dollars right now is really what's what's interesting me the most. You know, um, on top of that, they're they're offering salaries too, and and in MMA, it's always hard to kind of plan your life, right? You don't know when you're gonna fight, you don't know how how often you're gonna fight. Uh, but with this and then already being a set date, a set season, and you're getting paid a, a little bit in between in advance, um, or per month, it, it just releases a lot of pressure off of you and right now that that's the most important thing to me um when i signed with eagle fc i i was interested in in having khabib wrap that that belt around me right being the the, the first 165 pound champion that's kind of what i was after but now i got a son you know it's, he, he's not gonna care nothing about a 160 he's not gonna <laughs> care nothing about a belt he he, he needs to eat he needs the money he need he needs there's there's bigger things in this world so uh yeah like you said i'm, I'm glad that I, I had these options and and um mma is still providing that that opportunity for me to go out there and do what i love yeah your priority shift i mean you can still be a champion but your priority shift a little bit right like your, your son's gonna yeah. be happy about that seven figure bank account i mean you know what i mean that's Fact. gonna provide for him you know what i mean like your, your priorities do Fact. shift a little bit Fact. yeah it's at that, that and that's what it is and and at this point I'm a grown man, you know. I'm 30 years old. I'm entering my prime. These are my prime years that that I can really uh, uh, provide for them. And I've said I'm gonna do this until I'm 33. So I got three more years until I retire, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna make the most of the, out of those three years. Um, the last two years I've been quiet. I've been sitting on the back burner a little bit. But now it's time to press on the gas and and start off 23 right and uh, lead that into a bigger 24 and and a huge uh, 25. Absolutely. You also mentioned earlier, I forgot to mention this to you, Kevin. You also mentioned relocation. You're down in Florida now, correct? Correct. Correct. Yep. So, so you're, 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 are you at Killcliffe? Is that, is that where you're training at now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've been there for about a year now. 
So how did how did how did that relationship? Listen, there's no secret for people that are, that are listening that may not really recognize the name. Kill Cliff is a newer name, but that's the team that has guys like Michael Chandler, Gilbert Burns, uh, Henry yep. Hooft is one of the coaches. Greg Jones, like it's a it's a phenomenal team. Used to be the Black Zillions, and they transitioned, and they had a couple of name changes. But it's a phenomenal gym. Uh, from my understanding, yep. a phenomenal facility, very similar to the UFCPI in terms of like yep. all the setups they have there with the medical advancements and things like that. So how how did you end up at Kill Cliff and how happy have you been there? Uh, I think Derek Brunson was the one to to tell me about Kill Cliff at first, you know, and it was just one of those things of us talking in passing and, you know, you'll just mention something to somebody. Um, and I was coming down to Miami to, to, to visit a, a friend and it just happened. I, and I went up there, I trained, I trained two or three times. And then I was like, oh yeah, I could see myself living here and making a life here. And uh, and since then, it's it's just been me building these relationships and and me really establishing myself here. Um, and you know, Kill, Kill Cliff Kill Cliff is awesome. It, it just is. It's it's got you know the best one seventy pounders in the world. You know, Robbie Lawler, uh, Postman Taylor. It's 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 so many guys that that aren't even in the spotlight that are just amazing. Um, so I, I think if you ask any of them and if you ask any of the coaches, if you ask Greg Jones, if you ask Henry Hill, they're going to say how much I've improved over this last year. And I do got to give that up to the, to the team down here. Um, I, I've really established myself and, and I, I just love it. I, I love everything about living in Florida. Uh, it was time for me to change uh, living in Las Vegas for, for all those years. Um, it, it was about the right time to change. And I feel like it's right. Absolutely. And again, you mentioned, I mentioned Gilbert Burns, Logan Storley's down there as well. Bellator champions. Yep. You, there's no shortage of good guys to train with at that gym. Jason Jackson. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. Would that be like knowing, and again, like kind of like the same thing with CAA and leaving the UFC. Like it sounds like you're in a positive place. Like you could have taken all of this and put a negative spin on it, right? Like you could have said, you know, screw the UFC and, you know, screw <laughs> CAA. And you could have, you could have been real negative right now, but it sounds like having your son, you know, moving to Florida, signing with new management, being a free agent again. It seems like this is just a fresh start all the way around. Is that a fair way to state it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's 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 kind of just like a breath of fresh air. You know, it, it's it's taken a while to get here. Um, and even when I signed with Eagle, I was like, okay, this is this was the first one, right? It's the first restart. Um, and I still feel like I'm building off of that almost. I, I feel like you know, I've just improved since then. And since I had, and since I had my son, that's when it really like kicked in, like, this is a brand new life. It's a brand new restart. And, uh, I think people have always known my potential and what I'm able to do. And now I'm able to, I'm going to be able to, to, to really realize that and really kind of make a new wave and in a new path. Once people see me fight this next time around, I, I think, uh, I'm a, I'm a shock a whole lot of people because a lot of people in the media, a lot of fans, a lot of a lot of people have wrote me off. Right. They either forgot that I was still here and can still do what I do, but I'm one of the best in the world. And, I, and I'm really ready to prove that at this point. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you remember, like I said, we go back. I, I was the guy back in the day. I said, I thought you were the guy that could have been Khabib if you ever got that chance. Yeah. I was like, Kevin Lee's yeah. that guy. And listen, yeah. you still got you still got a lot of time to go out there and prove it and, and, and become that guy. And, and obviously, PFL, if everything mm-hmm. works out and you sign there, it's a great opportunity. Can I ask you, Kevin, uh, real quick, I know the deal's not official, but everything works out, you know, because you got, there, let's be honest, you got to iron out some details in terms of tournament or maybe doing the super fights because, again, those opportunities right. are now there for you would you like right. to get back and they're going to start their season i believe in april is that kind of like would you like yes. to fight in april like when do you hope to fight again because that would be basically about a year since your last fight yeah april april uh it definitely um no no later than april you know I, i'm ready to start a training camp um ready to yeah i'm ready to get back into fight shape for sure Absolutely. Well, Kevin, it's always a pleasure to catch up, but I'm just glad you're in a good place. I know that sounds like a playing therapist here, but it sounds like you're just in a really good place, and I'm just happy for yeah. you. Uh, glad you got a good deal here. Hopefully, we'll find out this PFL deal gets uh, finalized, and we can start talking more about that. But thank you so much, as always, for the time. Congratulations again on becoming a dad, and uh, thank you for taking the time for me. You know I do appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Damon. Appreciate we'll talk you, soon, bro. okay? All right. Talk soon. Right. Bye-bye. All right. A big thank you, as always, to catch up with Kevin Lee. It was great uh, hearing from him and everything he's got going on. Of course, hopefully hear more about that PFL deal in the very near future. That gets finalized. Be a big move for him. Uh, look forward to that. PFL's making some moves right now. The whole Jake Paul situation, uh, Kevin Lee, maybe Nate Diaz down the road, Eddie Alvarez, all kinds of possibilities. So looking forward to what PFL has coming in 2023 uh, as always we want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes into the show each and every week uh, make sure you check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms apple Podcasts, spotify and of course you can always find us over on the best website in the world mmafighting.com uh, we will be back next week uh, with matt brown scheduled to return so send again best well wishes to matt and his family we look forward to that and uh, thank you to each and every one of you that tunes in each and every week to the fighter versus the writer thanks for tuning in and we'll see you then The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.